Welcome to the Keeping Kids Safe podcast. My name is Karen Cohn. I am the co-founder of the Zach Foundation for Children's Safety. This is your number one resource for all things related to your child's emotional, physical, and social well-being. Now I'd like to introduce my co-host and my friend, the executive director of the Zach Foundation for Children's Safety, Megan Ferraro. Hi, Megan. Hi, Karen. Good morning. How are you? Hi, Megan. Good morning. I'm well. How are you today? I'm good. I'm happy to be here and happy to have, while it's really cold out, a beautiful sunny day with a beautiful blue sky and just happy to have some some sunshine after a few weeks of gray, cloudy skies. I know this is a tough time of year for sure with the weather here in the Northeast. (laughs) So excited to introduce our listeners to our guest today. Um, Joining us is Peter Karen, who is a father of three and owner of Foresight Childproofing, located in Minnesota, serving the Twin Cities and surrounding communities. Peter has worked as a professional childproofer for more than 10 years and became one of the first professionals certified as an advanced certified professional childproofer. Welcome to the show, Peter. Hi, thanks for having me. So the focus of our conversation today is going to be on childproofing your home in those early years when you first bring your child home from the hospital. So thinking about, you know, zero to three and how to keep our children safe in those early years. Yes, it's, you know, it's parenting is on the job training and those earliest days are are fraught with uh, just a lack of sleep and a lot of, a lot of, you know, not knowing what's next and how to proceed. And the simple thing is we take some minor precautions in the home that are easy to live with. It makes our kids life safer and it makes our parenting life easier, which is a win-win for everybody. That is so true. Um, Karen and I each have had, you know, four and five children, um, and I'm sure have gone through different stages of childproofing. Uh, how you childproofed your home for your first may be the same as you did for your last, but maybe that journey evolved. And so, just thinking about, you know, what for those parents that first bring their children home from the hospital, right? Their babies, they can't, they can't move. Wow. Do you really need to childproof your home? I know that the answer is yes, but I'm curious what, what would be the top things you would recommend for those brand new parents? The first thing starts with uh, certainly safe sleep practices. That's one of the first things you can do as a new parent, when you bring your child home, making sure you're making those good choices to put your child to sleep on their back, the best crib is a boring crib and advice has changed. Uh, my kids are now in their twenties. The advice that was available to me raising them is outdated. And now it's recommended that parents keep the crib in the same room as the parents, um, up until the first year and, uh, just, uh, keeping things, uh, clean, a nice firm mattress, no, no blankets, no stuffed animals. I know it's cute, but safety is more important in uh, aesthetics. I know it's so interesting to see how those guidelines have changed. Um, and I think specifically about crib bumpers, um, with my first child, we had a crib bumper in place. And by the time I was pregnant with my second, you know, crib bumpers were not allowed, you know, 
even I think the city of Chicago or maybe the state of Illinois, you couldn't even ship a crib bumper to someone. You couldn't order one if you lived in that state. And so for the rest of my children, there was no crib bumpers to be seen, though they did make the crib look so pretty. (laughs) I know. And for me, I'm also very far, Pete, from needing childproofing because my youngest is now 15. But it definitely is so different for me. I think finally with my youngest, um, I did have the recommendation. I think I may have still had bumpers, but nothing else in the crib, no blankets, no stuffed animals. But I think I may have still had the bumpers. That was, it wasn't recommended to not have them yet when she was a baby. But can you tell our listeners what it looks like to, um, to have a child proofer come into your home and what that process is like. So for me, the, the approach we take with our clients, it's not our position to be invited into somebody's home and assume anything or dictate anything. The good news is it's the safest time to be a child in the history of this country, but that's not by chance. It's uh, fortunately we have more better knowledge today as we're already talking about how our understanding of safety has evolved just regarding cribs. That's true across the board. I mean, we don't have to look any further than our own garages. The cars we're all driving to driving today are much safer than the cars we rode in as children and much safer than the cars that our parents rode in as children. So by the same, almost a parallel, our, our knowledge, our products, just understanding has a, uh, colored the landscape of child-proofing in a home. And for each home, it's going to be unique. Different parents, different uh, personalities of children. I'll tell you right now, my first child was a wonderfully sedentary, happy boy. And my third child was a maniacally happy, bounce off the walls, just whirlwind of a boy. Very different kids, very different, uh, very different uh, approaches to keeping them safe. It's so true. I have found even in my own home, just how different all of my kids are and how, how differently they believe the rules apply to them. (laughs) (laughs) But one of the good things is if you take steps, uh, it's easier. Let me say this. It's easier to keep the horse in the barn than to try to get it back in. If you can take some steps in a timely fashion, and the American Academy of Pediatrics recommends that six months is when you start earnestly child-proofing your home. By taking those steps in advance, the the child's going to grow up in an environment that they're free to explore because it's a safe environment. Whereas trying to stop a child from accessing something that they've had access to is it's a lot more difficult. So being a little bit ahead of the curve and, you know, as, as I go in and work with clients in the home, one of the things I like to tell them is I'm looking at your home through the lens of a three-year-old. If you want to test child proofing the home, turn a three-year-old loose in the house. That's a, that's the, that's the real, (laughs) real bar we're trying to clear here. And that's, that's a good bar to set because I have a three-year-old and he (laughs) can be pretty destructive. Um, Whether it's coloring my sister's couch with a red marker or feeding the dog Cheetos, it is a nonstop um, 
juggling act trying to keep him keep him safe and keep everything else safe around him. <laughs> it's it's the nature of their development. Our children from the moment of birth are trying to overcome obstacles. The first thing they're trying to do is track mom's voice. And then their eyes start to focus and they can focus in on your face. And then they're starting to learn their limbs. And, and every day they're climbing a different mountain and they're getting taller, faster, stronger, and smarter. And it's fascinating. Now, with that wonderful development comes those challenges to address the needs of today. Well, that only works for today. So you want to really have in your mind where, where you're going to be, you know, six months, 12 months, two, three years down the road. And I, I'm in Minnesota. We're inside for five months. You really want to have some good strategies in place because it's going to be 23 below zero here overnight. So we're uh, we're hunkered down for a long time and having a home where you're not stressed out chasing the child is in ways that aren't necessarily needed it, it makes life so much easier that is so true um you know i think i want to ask you to to share with our viewers what the what are those big safety tips so you have your 6 month old at home the aap recommends you begin child proofing your home what are those top five to seven things that parents should be considering and ensuring they have in place in their homes? Well, we can start with, with gates and candidly, maybe, maybe not popularly said, but gates are the necessary evil of childproofing. But the good news is there are gates that are very easy to live with. We all accept the minor inconvenience of buckling our seatbelts, I hope. It's a, it'd be easier if we didn't. We could just climb in our car and drive. But, you know, it's a pretty easy thing to live with buckling up. Same thing is true for a gate. It just becomes just a, a simple addition to the home. And the one mistake I think people most often use is not installing them correctly. So... They'll try to use a pressure gate at the top of stairs, or they'll tip over a chair or a box, or and you know some some attempts at safety that are adequate for that. Not well, let me not say adequate, but that will slow down a crawling eight-month-old, ten-month-old can be really inappropriate for a twelve-month-old or fourteen-month-old, and something that's installed incorrectly ends up giving you a false sense of security. Sometimes I argue, I would argue that you're almost better with nothing than something done incorrectly. Because if you're good, if it's going to fail when you need it, I'd rather know that there's, I have to be more attentive and then, then, then have something that's uh, the the wrong gate in the wrong place and resources are available online to teach people all about the right choices and how to install them correctly so that's that's one of the biggest ones is gates and like i said the right gate is easy to live with uh, going from there one of the things i would say that people just want to revisit just kind of how we live in our home our adult world's designed around convenience and no shock to you, or but there's never been a convenient baby or toddler. So what are those are the ways that we live in our home? How we 
you know, prepare our dinner, where we store things. I can tell you, if I go to clients' homes, almost every linen closet I open, the top shelves have sheets and towels. The middle shelf is personal care items. The lower shelf has medication. And down on the floor is all the cleaning chemicals. You know, a simple change of how we view our home. I never have seen or received the notices why we have to keep our chemicals under the sink. Somehow that took root decades ago. And it's, you know, that you can store paper towels under the sink really well. That's then, uh, so, that is so true and such a funny thing to think about. How how did we all come to store all of our chemicals under the sink? I don't know, but I know that for us in our household, and I'm curious to know if you would recommend this or something stronger, we have those locks that are magnetic. So you have to kind of wave a key in front of the, the cabinet, which is underneath the sink, which is where all of my cleaning supplies are stored. You have to use that magnet to unlock the... Um, the magnetic pole from the cabinet under the sink. Is that one of the strategies you recommend or what, what would you do in a client's home in that situation? I, I do. I, and so there's, uh, it, there are three types of cabinet latches. There are exterior latches, which go over the knobs and handles. And there, I like things that are simple and easy to live with. They, uh, they're a little more cumbersome because you have to constantly re-engage them every time you use it. Then there's the traditional latches, which you can push down on the tab, but that still allows some measure of access. The magnetic latches, which you referenced, are my favorite. They completely deny a child's access. And the biggest concern people have is they imagine that it's harder to live with than it is. And the nice thing, it takes about a day or two to get uh, accustomed to having it. And that's true with anything, any new change in our home. But with that ability to completely deny access, and they all have the ability to turn them on and off. So as your child or children get older and is age appropriate, you can disable it. You can turn it off. When uh, my kids got older and they needed to grab their a spoon or you know a fork, that, that's one thing but they still didn't have access to the stemware or something along with chemicals. And, but uh, it, uh, we have wonderful, there are some great magnetic latches out there. Yes, so much better than, than the exterior latches that I had with my first. I remember like fumbling and trying to push down on a button and pull. And it was always so, so difficult for me to, figure that out. And these magnetic latches we've had for probably the last six years in our home, and they are the easiest to utilize. And aesthetically, you don't even, you can't even see that they're there. So they look really, really nice as well. Yep. Certainly my favorite option. Okay. So we've talked about, um, gates, we've talked about cabinets. What, what else, what is the next big safety element you would recommend families include? So one of the ones that people don't necessarily identify, gates and latches come to mind for most people, um, but furniture safety. When we're talking about furniture tip overs, that's unique in that most of what we talk about when we talk about childproofing in a home really ebbs and depends on the children, of course, but between the ages of three and four. Furniture injuries, unfortunately, continue through age seven, 
And when you have that child who is four years old, five years old, quite obviously no longer in a crib and appropriately so, and that five-year-old playing by themselves, you know, in a separate room. Yeah. Once again, that's appropriate, but that doesn't mean these children still don't have that, you know, living in the moment, they see something they want to reach. They're willing to climb. They're also a little bit bigger. These furniture injuries continue through age seven, which isn't necessarily something people are thinking of six and seven-year-olds when I talk about child-proofing. So an appropriate uh, restraint for whether it be a dresser or bookcase, um, there's a wonderful group called Parents Against Tipovers. Great resources are available there, and there's some new legislation called the Sturdy Act, which is bringing about changes in the industry. So we're seeing a, a nice trend in that regard, but still, this is a, that's one most people don't necessarily identify. That's a great, a great safety tip, um, ensuring that all of your furniture, your dressers, your TVs, that they are all secured to the wall. Most of the time when you're buying furniture, especially children's furniture, they come with these, I don't know if they're six inch, I'm sure they're longer than that, but six inch long pieces of fabric that you drill into the wall and you drill into the back of the furniture so that if a precocious child is climbing furniture or is really trying to explore their space, if that furniture were to tip over, it would be secured to the wall so that the furniture could not fall on top of a child. Certainly. And there are uh, a lot of people are hesitant to put any screws in their home and it really is very simple. Done correctly, it's a it's, it's to patch where you would put a screw in is as difficult as it is to patch the nail hole that you use to hang a picture. We're all willing to hang a picture, but not uh, put a screw in. There are some wonderful furniture straps which are a little more robust. Um, you can just disengage them should you need the should the baby drop a pacifier behind the changing table, which is where they all pile up that you can uh, disengage and re-engage and it's as secure as it was to begin with. And you always want to make sure you're attaching to a stud in the wall. That's, that's one of the biggest challenges. Um, I certainly discourage any use of any plastic toggles. Uh, it's very easy to find a stud in the wall. Um, and then there are, there are resources available. Uh, should you have questions? Once again, uh, there's a uh, online and with that, that's the parents against tip overs and others childproofingexperts.com has a great video. Um, the one, one thing I'd like to share with you that I think is a challenge isn't necessarily product related as far as what to buy, but it's more of the childproofing hacks. And boy, I, I can't put too fine of a point. If somebody suggests that you use a pool noodle, to somehow, as a child-proofing hack, to protect a piece of furniture. Oh, we, we, you never want to hack your seatbelts. We don't want to hack child safety in a home. Um, I'm trying to brainstorm what you're referring to. Can you tell us? Um, have you seen the long, like, four or five-foot pool noodles that kids use to float around in a pool? Mm -hmm. well, people, people will take those and put them on the side of a coffee table. Or they will they will cut them up and and use them in all sorts of unfortunate and inappropriate ways. Interesting. Okay. Quite a right. One piece of that gift to everybody. It doesn't cost a cent. 
for most families, best solution for your coffee table, put it in the basement for a little while. I'm a big fan of the, either the padded cube or padded ottoman. That uh, that coffee table is right in the middle of that play area. And as, as you're aware, as the kids get older, they just need more open space. Yes, so true. In fact, I have lived most of my parenthood without a coffee table in my family room. Um, and right Look, now, there's no coffee my table. My system froze. Oh, Okay, I just was responding to your comment, Pete, about keeping your family room area without a coffee table. Um, I was thinking about, as you were talking, about the fact that really since I've had my first child, more often than not, we have not had a coffee table in our family room. And my husband will always look at me and, you know, sigh as he juggles his coffee and the kids and the dog um, because he has no place to to put his coffee cup, but it is true that kids need that free space. And now that we have a puppy at home, he needs that space to run around and play. So it's um, not only safer, but it certainly is a little bit more convenient. Certainly. And it's, it's, it's a minor inconvenience and it is relatively short term. The uh... For most people, it's only been 12 years for us. <laughs> well, well, that's true. Um <laughs> So Pete, as you know, drowning prevention and water safety is so important for our foundation and for our listeners. And we would love to hear about the things that you do inside and outside homes to keep families safe around water. Certainly. So one of the first things we do is actually start in the kitchen and that's where we'll test a family's hot water. So quite simply, we'll take, most families have a have a meat thermometer, a little thermometer used for cooking. And you can turn on the hot water in the kitchen sink, grab a coffee cup, let that water run into that coffee cup and keep it running. Put the thermometer in that hot water and wait for it to stop, the temperature to stop climbing. And your targeted goal is 110 to 120 degrees. And why that's important is our children are very different little people than we are. Their skin is thinner which means they're much more susceptible to a third-degree burn at a much lower temperature than what you would anticipate. That's a simple adjustment you can make. Um, you can go online and find how to adjust your hot water heater. It's usually just a simple turn of a dial. Um, then when it continuing through water safety in the home is bathrooms. And this, this can come in, and the two of you will appreciate it, when it's your first child, it's a it's a fairly easy thing that you don't want a child to have free access to a bathroom until they're ready to potty train. Then it becomes a necessity. The challenge comes when you have more than one children and you have a, a crawler, but you also have a three-year-old, four-year-old, five-year-old who needs immediate access to the bathrooms. So there are simple things that you can do there. Um, you can use toilet locks if that's a concern. Um, one of the nice things is now new our new technology, new toilets and water saving is there are lower water levels, which helps. Then when we're talking about things like pools and hot tubs, that's uh, you really, if, if you happen to own a home with a pool or a hot tub, if there's an occasion where you look and you think, huh, 
where 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 did he or she go? You're thinking, where'd your baby or toddler or child go to? And they were here a minute ago. The first place you, you need to look is in, in that pool or hot tub. And the, the first steps to use to make them safer kind of embraces layers of protection. We want to deny their free access to get outside of the home. Because even under the best of uh, circumstances and the greatest intentions, you know, we still have to make dinner and take care of homes and kids are playing and moving around. So if you have some simple latches on the exterior doors, on the patio doors that keep the child in the home, that's our first step. When it comes to pools, uh, the American Academy of Pediatrics, the government's Pool Safely website, their number one recommendation is a four-foot non-climbable fence with a self-closing, self-latching gate. And a lot of people are uh, potentially hesitant to put something around because they're concerned about aesthetics. Once again, there are great options out there for you that are safe, they look good, they function well, and most importantly, they, they're going to keep your child's feet on dry surface. Uh, hot tubs, you want to be aware of as well, that make sure that they're secured. They're, they're de- there's, there's a barrier denying the child's access to the hot tub. Then, uh, have you ever, and I'm sure you have, but the uh, ISR classes are a wonderful resource to teach children, the uh, young children, the, the ability to write themselves in water so they're face up and they can float. Heaven forbid they ever find themselves uh, in, in water. Yes, we have heard of those classes and we, you know, remain eager to see, you know, information on how successful and impactful they are for long-term users. You know, one of the things that we try to make sure we think about Pete, as we make recommendations to families about water safety and drowning prevention resources are one that they're accessible, meaning that you can find um, this equipment or these instructors in your community and two that they're affordable. Um, and then the last point is that they, that they have proven long-term um, data that supports the success of the program. So ISR, along with lots of other water safety classes and resources is something we're eager to learn more about. Agreed. Agreed. And that's just one resource available. Uh, The nice thing is there are some groups out there doing some good work who, uh, who offer, who, who there's information available. There's also some, you can find some funding this in, uh, urban areas, much, obviously much easier access to these resources. Um, One of my favorite things, especially for pool owners, are the water watcher cards. Mm. So that this is a a simple, about three by five or even a little bit smaller card. What it is, it's on a lanyard most often. And when you're out around the pool, one adult is designated as the water watcher. They're not going to leave the side of the pool. They're not going to be on their phone. It's their job to keep their eyes on the pool. And it's for a short window of time. It's for a 15-minute window of time. And so that's not incumbent upon, you know, the, the homeowner who happens to have friends or family over to not only be the host but also be the lifeguard. So you take turns designating the water watcher. That way you always have an adult beside the pool 
with eyes on the water. Such great advice, Pete. Such so, great advice. So, yeah. So, Pete, you've given us some a lot of really great information today on how to keep our children safe in our home. And I'm just wondering if there's anything else that you feel is important to share with our listeners that we haven't already talked about. So, yes, I just uh, encourage people to be willing to make changes into their home. And as we talked earlier, have that that mindset on what's coming, not what you're looking at today. And a lot of people are hesitant to you know, put a screw into their home. It's a very simple thing to do and to patch, but the value of it, you may never, ever know if it's done correctly. That's great advice, Pete. And we're looking forward to having you back on our podcast to talk about a new age range of childproofing your home, right? Today, we really talked about how to keep those zero to three-year-olds safe. We talked about gates and fences, um, of course, always around pools and hot tubs, but at the top of your stairs and keeping, you know, chemicals and cleaning supplies out of reach of your children about bathroom safety and, and sharp corners and edges and furniture tip overs. Well, those safety messages change as your kids age and we'll have Pete back on to bring more safety messages to all of our listeners. And so thank you, Pete, for your time. And we're looking forward to talking with you again soon. Thank you very much. I appreciate the opportunity to join. Absolutely. Great advice, Pete. So I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you would please um, rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast and share with your friends and family, we would be so grateful. And with that, have a great week and we'll talk with you soon. Bye.